This episode contains descriptions of violence perpetrated against children. Listener discretion is advised. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Small towns like that are just kind of strange. They're very tight-knit, and especially when you don't have anyone out there but each other, you know, there's lots of places for people to hide. It's just different out there. It's so desolate. You really have no idea what your neighbor is up to. You know, there are people out there who could take your life in an instant. Hey guys, welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And we're just going to get right into the day. Billy, what day is it? There's coming. It's national coming from the cold day. I can get behind that because I'm cold right now. I just came in from the cold today. You're sitting, Jacqueline, with a heating pad and a space heater on you and a blanket. And you're wearing a robe. A very thick robe. So Jacqueline has come in from the cold. I can never be warmer. Right. And my toes were frozen after playing hockey, actually. Well, do you play on ice? Mm -mm. This was roller today. Interesting how that works. But I was outside, though. Mm, in california weather that's like 65 degrees all right well that's enough of that so let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you When we were brainstorming about this episode, we were trying to come up with the right way to start this story. Maybe something dealing with the themes of unexplained evil that exists in the world. But we realized that there are no words for the case we're about to share with you, except to say that this is one of the most senseless and sad cases we've ever shared with you here on The First Degree. Today's story is set in Vichy, Missouri. And here's our first degree, Bethany. She grew up there. Vichy. So, well, I live like an hour away now. Um, I still go, my parents, I have to go right through Vichy to get to my parents. It's not even really a tower anymore. It's kind of just, you can see where the old buildings were when you go through like a small stretch of Highway 63. And then beyond that, it just takes you into the next biggest town, which is uh, Rolla, Missouri. And my family still lives there. So um, when I go down to visit my family, I'll go through that little stretch right there um, that they call Vichy. I think eventually it'll be consumed by Rolla. But um, for now, it's still standing. It's just like a desolate little town in the middle of nowhere. Today's case takes us back to February 5th of 1998. The top song on the radio was Together Again by Janet Jackson. The Blues Brothers 2000 and The Wedding Singer were in theaters. And it was on the evening of February 5th that Kay Hayes was becoming concerned about not hearing from her sister, Susan Brooke. You see, Susan had planned to come over for Sunday dinner with her children, 12-year-old Adrian and 9-year-old Kyle, but they never showed, which was not typical behavior for her. So Kay thought it was strange that her sister didn't show, and when she didn't hear from her Monday, she was pretty concerned, but not overly. 
But when Tuesday rolled around, alarm bells started going off. She had been making repeated attempts to reach her sister to no avail. Kay, along with other family members, decided to go to the home that Susan and her children shared. And when they arrived, they found Susan's prescription glasses, which Susan could not see without them. They also found the coats belonging to Susan and her kids, and it was freezing outside. There was absolutely no reason they would have left without being bundled up. They also observed that the TV, the VCR, and other miscellaneous items, including the stereo, was missing from the house, which is beyond concerning. Susan's tan Bronco was also missing from the property. It wasn't in the driveway. And as Susan's sister absorbed the odd characteristics of the home, she had no doubt that something terrible had happened. They called the police immediately, and officers from the Mary's County Sheriff's Department responded quickly. And when they got there, the first thing they did was secure the home and search the perimeter of the property. But it was dark when they arrived, so they knew a more effective search would probably be done the following morning with the daylight. They came back first thing the next morning. But this time they came with a helicopter. And as they were doing the aerial search, the officer flying the copter noticed something odd that seemed to be floating at a large pond that was slightly southeast of the Brokes' property. So they landed the helicopter in a field just south of the pond and approached the water. And with every step they took, a clearer picture of what was floating in the pond started to emerge. It was the body of 36-year-old Susan Broke. Law enforcement swarmed the pond and soon discovered the bodies of Susan's 12-year-old daughter, Adrian, and her 9-year-old son, Kyle. The police officers present were horrified at this discovery. And to call Vichy a small town is an understatement. Literally everyone knows everyone. So who would do this to a mother and her two young children? And speculating as to why is absolutely pointless because there's nothing that could ever begin to explain or justify perpetrating such a depraved act. The police worked to wrap their heads around the evidence as panic, horror, and fear reverberated through the town. If you even want to call this a town, it's a very, very small strip of of residences with a couple of little gas stations and such. The news traveled really, really quickly, and it wasn't long before Susan's network of friends and family heard what had happened. And news didn't stop at the associates of Susan's, but they were reaching the friends of Adrian and Kyle at school too. And I went to school in St. James, and that is where I knew Kyle. Um, We were in, we had our third grade class together. Um, So we were besties, but um, yeah, we both just lived in an area where that happened to be the school district that we went through. So we just had a really long bus ride to school from our homes, you know, being so far in the country. This is one of my first memories, and I only remember kind of like the week of um, the events that happened and kind of where Kyle and I were um, building up to that. But Kyle and I's friendship was at school, and I would say Kyle was in the making of being my first crush. Um, we used to hang out on top of the monkey bar at recess. And so um, it was kind of the, it felt like the mature thing to be doing, you know, because we weren't running around playing. We would just sit up there and talk. Um, and at the time, these really tiny little beaded necklaces were popular and we were making them. And I had gotten with my dad, he had this huge collection of beads and we, I made him a necklace. And I, that was something that I had given him um, just 
you know, before all of this stuff happened. And I remember kind of feeling like, I think I like this guy. And I'd given him that necklace and he, he didn't come to school. I think it was like the next three or four days. And so I'm just kind of waiting to see where it goes and, you know, to look at my necklace on it. <laughs> and um, it, they just announced in class that there had been an incident and that Kyle had passed away and they didn't really say anything beyond that. Um, I remember a teacher being, I guess none of us were really old enough to comprehend what any of that meant. We didn't understand death or, you know, why he wasn't coming back. But I just remember feeling really upset about it. And I went into the bathroom and just kind of cried a little. But, um, you know, it was, it was really, it, it wasn't really talked about beyond that. Kyle was only nine years old and was a third grade student at Lucy Wortham James Elementary School in St. James. He played soccer. He was a good student. He dreamed of being an army officer. It was a normal family living a quiet life in a rural community. Lives full of hopes and dreams taken away by a senseless crime. Susan was a lifelong resident of the Fishy area. She was a single mother whose life revolved around Kyle and Adrian. She worked in the production department of Talama Industries in the nearby town of St. James. And Susan was a 1980 graduate of Bell High School, an honor student, and a member of the high school band and choir. She was active in high school, participating in the Future Homemakers of America, and she was vice president of her class and a Mayday Queen candidate. Adrian was 12, and she was about to turn 13, and she was a 7th grade student at the St. James Junior High School. She was a good student and active in school, and she played volleyball and was a member of the band and the choir. And Adrian hoped to be a veterinarian or a teacher when she grew up. As the Broke family was processing their new reality, the police scrambled for leads. And they started their deep dive search for evidence around the perimeter of the pond where they'd found them. And during that search, the police found a 16-gauge shotgun shell on the south bank of the pond. And they also found some fallen leaves and patch of dirt that were soaked with blood. And they also located what seemed to be a fresh shoe impression, actually multiple of them, as well as two cinder blocks on the west bank near the area where the bodies were found. And while this was a great deal of evidence, the break they needed came in the form of a pair of tire tracks leading from the pond to a neighboring property. The tire tracks led to a residence owned by a man named David Bolin. And according to the St. Louis Dispatch, the Bolin family compound consisted of a group of seven mobile homes set on seven acres strewn with tires, bicycles, chickens, and car axles. The rundown compound is about one mile from the home of the Broke family. And around the town of Vichy, those who live at the compound are referred to as the California Bunch, and the property is referred to as Bolin Hill. So the police met with Mr. Bolin and informed him of the very serious situation that they had on their hands. And Mr. Bolin explained that while many family members lived on his property, only two had been missing for a number of days. His nephew, 18-year-old Mark Christensen, and his 17-year-old cousin, Jesse Carter. And Mr. Bullen also revealed that one of his shotguns had been used. And this also aligned with the shotgun shell evidence that the police found at the pond. If Mark and Jesse were responsible for this triple homicide, it meant that the teens already had a three-day head start on law enforcement. They could be anywhere. 
background check revealed that neither teen had any criminal history, which led police to wonder whether or not two teen boys with no criminal history could really be capable of something so heinous. And while it was difficult to fathom, the evidence was pointing at them as the culprits. It wasn't long before the news picked up the story. This farm pond is where a 36-year-old mother and her two young children were found murdered in Missouri. These two neighbors, Mark Christensen and Jesse Carter, are accused in the killings. They allegedly took the family's Ford Bronco and headed west. Family members of the two boys defended them publicly. Jesse Carter's mother, Sheila Bolin, said that her son had a learning disability that was aggravated by a hearing problem. And she also said that her son is too compassionate to commit this type of crime. She said the following to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, quote, if he sees a sick dog, he cries for the dog. He's too sensitive for this. Deep down in my heart, I don't believe these boys did this. And David Boland shared that his nephew Mark had come to live with him six or seven years prior. He described him as relatively benign and only occasionally rebellious. He had run away once before and drove one of the 50 cars that were on the family compound to Robidoux, which is a town near Riverside, California. Riverside is where Jesse's father lived. And on this occasion, when Mark ran away, he stayed there with Jesse's dad for six weeks. And the police took note of this. If they have missing suspects, perhaps they should notify police officers in Riverside. It was at this time that the Bolin family said that they felt they were being unfairly targeted by law enforcement. Several members of the family told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that, quote, When we first moved back here, we were looked at as druggies and hardened criminals. The sheriff has come up that driveway hundreds of times. And while the media gave the Bolin family the platform to defend the boys, people with varied experiences with the boys also came out of the woodwork as they do. A woman named Sheila Bowens, who owned one of the only stores in Vichy, said that she took Mark to the local Pentecostal church several times because, quote, they stole so much we couldn't take it anymore. I feel like they should have to pay a price for what they've done. It was a sick, sick crime. Sheila also knew Susan and her kids because Susan would bring them to buy donuts. To the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, she said, quote, her kids were beautiful. That little boy, Kyle, had a way to steal your heart. And as the police worked to track down Mark and Jesse, an autopsy was conducted on Susan, Adrian, and Kyle. So we must say, uh, we want to give a little bit of a warning. There is a description of violence perpetrated against children. So if you don't want to hear, fast forward 30 seconds. So Susan had cuts to her neck, although they weren't severe enough to cause her death immediately. Her actual cause of death was drowning. Susan also had blunt force injury on her head that caused bleeding under her scalp. She'd also been brutally raped. Kyle also had blunt force injuries to the head as well as two superficial cuts across his neck, but he too died from drowning. Adrian died from suffocation, but there was also a small shallow puncture wound in Adrian's left arm that could have been caused by a pellet from a shotgun shell, although no pellet was present in her, in her wound on her arm. Once the autopsies were conducted, the family had to face the daunting task of planning a triple funeral for Susan, Kyle, and Adrian. 
I remember being upset with my mom because she wouldn't let me go to the funeral. Um, my grandma is a beautician and she did their hair and their makeup uh, for the funeral and the funeral was open casket. And I don't know if my grandma just kind of relayed how bad they looked, um, but because it was open casket, my mom would not let me attend the funeral. Um, we did kind of talk about it and, um, you know, she told me why she didn't feel like I should go and how she didn't want me to remember Kyle that way. Um, she let me know that she put the necklace on him and that she had put some glitter in the back of his hair um, because that was just something that he did, you know, at that time. And so um, she kind of really made me feel at peace with that, you know, but I, I feel like being able to go to the funeral always kind of left a um, an open wound. I feel like I didn't get that closure. So the necklace was um, the beaded necklace and the glitter in the back of his hair was something that they had I don't know who told her that that was something that he had done, but that was just something that my grandma mentioned. And so um, at the funeral, they put Beanie Babies in Adrian's coffin. Um, so somebody, I feel, had given the inclination that they wanted to be buried a specific way. And I don't know if the necklace was, he had, I don't know if it had meaning to him or if it was just something that was there that they put on because truly I had given them that, you know, just a couple of days before all of that happened. So um, it was just a detail that I'm like, oh, I just, I don't know. I felt like a little part of our short time together, you know, kind of got buried with him. So it's just something I've held on to all these years. Meanwhile, a national manhunt was underway. Jesse and Mark were each charged with three counts of first-degree murder, among other things such as robbery, auto theft, and armed criminal action. Police knew that the teens had stolen Susan's 84 Tan Bronco, so the Missouri Highway Patrol issued a national alert with descriptions of the fugitives and Susan's Bronco. One thing on their side was that Susan's car adorned temporary tags, which would end up helping in narrowing the search for the vehicle. And it turned out that the cousins had traveled a significant distance. They drove from Missouri and then Shamrock, Texas, a town on Interstate 40 just west of Oklahoma in the Texas Panhandle. And it's there that the two suspects were actually pulled over by a Shamrock police because of the temporary license tags on Susan's Bronco. But Mark had an explanation. He said he borrowed the car from his girlfriend and that he and his cousin were headed to Arizona. Mark Christensen and Jesse Carter are accused in the killings. They allegedly took the family's Ford Bronco and headed west, first being stopped by police in Shamrock, Texas. But the vehicle hadn't been reported stolen yet, so officers let them go. Late that night, the teen's vehicle broke down in Gallup. The officers stopped to see if they need any help. Well, McKinley County Sheriff Frank Gonzalez's Deputy Wayne Robertson was with the murder suspects for about 20 minutes along the interstate. He did run a check on the teens' driver's licenses and then the Bronco, but everything checked out okay. They got on their way. He got back in his car. He doesn't even know that he stopped him. At this time, he doesn't know who he stopped. So after their close call, the two killers moved through Tulsa, Santa Fe, Gallup, and Blythe, California, before being stopped in Riverside, California. On February 9th, a detective with the Riverside County Sheriff's Department, stationed in Blythe, recognized Mark and Jesse from their photographs on a flyer that had been circulated by law enforcement. And remember, law enforcement in Missouri anticipated that they may go to the same place because the first time Mark had run away, he had gone to Robidoux to stay with Jesse Carter's father, who was an uncle of sorts to him. So this is one of the first places that they sent 
these internal police memos to be on the lookout for these guys. Okay, what happened was yesterday afternoon, uh, Blythe detectives received information, actually received flyers that officials in Missouri were looking for a, a couple of people in connection with a triple homicide. Uh, from what I understand, a mother and two children were murdered sometime last week. Uh, they believe that the two suspects, an 18-year-old and 17-year-old, may be en route to Riverside County. Once the detectives received that information on a flyer, uh, something jogged his memory as to having seen these two guys and their vehicle over the past couple of days in the Palo Verde Valley area of, of uh, Riverside County. Our detective, Jimmy Lowe, did some footwork and talked with some residents, and they pointed out where the uh, truck was last seen. The investigator and some deputies went to that location and found the two suspects, arrested them without incident. I can say we have an 18-year-old who was taken to Blythe Jail. We have a 17-year-old juvenile taken to Indio Juvenile Hall. Apparently what they had been doing was working odd jobs throughout the valley, maybe in an effort to, uh, you know, raise enough money to get gas or something to, you know, go uh, someplace else in Riverside County. I can say they were arrested without incident. Missouri officials are en route and will be taking them back to Missouri to face the charges. So Mark and Jesse are in custody, but their apprehension offers little relief given the horror of what has happened. And now there were new feelings to address. These two teens were neighbors of the Broke family, and they rode the bus to school with 12-year-old Adrian. How could they have done this? Being little, I was just kind of kept out of a lot of it. My grandma was a very religious lady, and it wasn't something we just prayed over a bunch of things. You know, if it, she prayed with us on that, it wasn't... Um, we didn't go into the, the details, um, but I would say we were probably in fifth or sixth grade. Um, one of my good girlfriends lived through the fields, and we used to, you know, when back in the day of dial-up internet, we used to get on the internet and look those things up, but her dad was, I, he had something to do with the sheriff's department, and she had told kind of a whole different story than what we had heard as far as, you know, that what came out and it was just the details of like what they had done to his mom and, and things like that and it always piqued my interest because it was um just such an event and i wanted to just know everything 17 year old jesse carter would make a full confession in exchange for taking the death penalty off the table here's how we said the events unfolded we will warn you there are descriptions of violence against children. So if you don't want to hear it, fast forward about 30 seconds. He said that the whole ordeal started on January 31st when he and Mark decided that they were going to run away from home. The following morning, after their uncle went to work, the two teens took shotguns and decided to rob the nearest house, which was the home of the Brokes, which is just about a mile away from the Bolin compound. They did some recon and canvassed the perimeter of the house at first when they arrived and hid outside before mustering the courage to go in. When they entered the home, they found 12-year-old Adrian and 9-year-old Kyle sitting on the living room floor. Susan was in the kitchen, and when she entered the living room, she found them 
binding the hands of her children with shoelaces that they had brought with them for this purpose. Mark forced Susan into Adrian's bedroom at gunpoint, where he raped her on Adrian's bed. Then he led Susan back into the family room and tied her up using a piece of yellow rope. It's at this point that Susan said, you had your fun, now get out. And at some point during this phase of the attack, Susan and Kyle were each hit with a blunt object. It's also at this point that Adrian, the 12-year-old girl, realized she recognized Jesse from the bus. When trying to get him to stop, she called him by his nickname, JR. And as soon as Mark heard this, he said out loud, we got to get rid of him. State calls Jesse Carter. Jesse Carter says the day that ended the lives of Susan, Adrian, and Kyle Brook began with just two men talking of running away. Go to Blythe, California. Carter was 17 at the time, his cousin Mark Christensen, 18. Carter says his cousin plotted to steal neighbor Susan Brooks' vehicle, but he also planned to rape her. All I know, he's supposed to have sex with her and supposed to take the Bronco. Carter says he guarded Susan Brooks' children while Christensen raped her. She said, you had your fun, now get out. But that is when the plan changed. 12-year-old Adrian called Jesse Carter by his name. Miss Kristen told, told me that we had to get rid of him. The boys then forced Susan, Kyle, and Adrian into the back of Susan's Bronco that they would later steal. They also loaded up the TV, VCR, stereo, video games, checkbooks, and anything else that looked valuable that they could find before heading towards the pond. Occasionally stuttering, but otherwise emotionless, Jesse Carter recounted how he and Christensen drove the family at gunpoint to a nearby pond. Carter says Christensen then killed them one by one. Susan Brooke was first. Down there, slice. Slice her throat. She told her kid that she loved her. Next was nine-year-old Kyle. And how did he go about doing it? Holding his... his face underwater. And how long did he do that? What it felt like, about five, six minutes. Finally, 12-year-old Adrian. He drowned Kyle, then Adrian was suffocated on land by the two men. And here's Jesse confessing to some of the events that night. Again, a warning. This is very descriptive and has violence against children. Mark um, was wearing his his cloth gloves and rubber gloves. And he took the, his hand like a claw and cut the, cut the hair off from right here. He grabbed her throat and cut yeah. the hair off? Yes. What happened then? He, he held, held her underwater still, holding her throat. Did he say anything to you? Um, she was she was squirming, kicking. He told, told me to hold her feet. I, I first refused. He, he said, if I didn't, he'd cut my throat and hold me down underwater. That's what he said to you? Yes. Did you believe him? At that point, yes. So you thought you would die if you didn't do that? Yes, yes. What did you do? I held her feet like he told me to. And while Susan was still alive, 
She was barely breathing, and the two men grabbed her arms and legs, and they threw her into the pond on top of her children's bodies. As she drowned, Jesse went into the woods to get a long stick, and he used the stick to push all of them further out into the pond so they had very little chance of reaching the surface and surviving. And at that point, the two killers drove off in the Bronco and eventually headed west on Interstate 44. It's terrifying to just think that you could walk into your living room and someone is in there in an instant and your whole life is turned upside down. And I don't know if their intention when they went there was for it to go the way that it did or if Adrian saying, hey, I recognize you or whatever was said, you know, um, kind of sparked them. But that is just an insane decision to make in that moment. And it's scary to think that something like that can change the rest of your life. But I can't help but think there's something underlying for them to have gone to the extent that they did um, to do that. You know, I just feel like from what I read, you know, the, the kids were still kind of alive when they were in the pond and when they threw the mom on top of them, her body is what drowned it. And as a mom, I am like, holy cow, you know, I can't, that's your worst fear, you know, and to do something just so demonic, it just, it makes my, oh, it just is a, it's a sick feeling. I, I just can't imagine it. You have to know that something, there's something underlying there for somebody to go to that extreme. In 2017, CBS reported that nearly 19 years to the day that Susan broke and her two children were taken to a Missouri pond and killed. One of the men responsible for the crime was put to death. Gee, a Missouri man is set to die today for the 1998 murders of three people in the Missouri town of Vichy. Mark Christensen was convicted of raping and murdering a 38-year-old woman, suffocating her 12-year-old daughter, and then stabbing her 9-year-old son before dumping them in a pond to drown. Christensen was 18 at the time of the murders, and his 17-year-old cousin, he and his 17-year-old cousin ran away from home armed with shotguns. They went to the neighboring home of the victims with plans to simply steal their SUV. But after killing the victims, they fled to California, uh, where they were caught eight days later. Christensen's cousin agreed to testify against him and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Christensen's uh, attorneys have appealed this and have uh, argued this, saying that he has uh, deserved a chance to argue his court-appointed attorneys have missed a deadline to file a federal court appeal. Christensen's lawyers have argued he also has an IQ of 74 and is mentally incapable of understanding his rights during the original trial. Christensen is set for lethal injection in the state prison in Bonterre this evening. Mark Christensen. 37, was hours away from execution in 2014 when the U.S. Supreme Court granted a temporary stay. But this time, though, the court allowed the execution to proceed. And Governor Eric Graytons declined a clemency request for Christensen, the first inmate to be put to death since the Republican took office. As the execution drug was administered, Christensen appeared to mouth, I love you, a couple of times to people who were gathered to watch the lethal injection on his behalf. Soon, his eyes closed. Uh, 
I do. Well, I don't know about the younger one that got. I, from what I understood, he pleaded insanity. I didn't look into that aspect of it. But Mark, the one, they say he kind of masqueraded the the whole ordeal. But absolutely, I mean, you took a woman and two children for a Ford Bronco and a TV and whatever else you took to get where you were going, you know, and and to do it out of just cold blood and the way that he did it in such a way that they were all watching each other suffering, which alone is just uncomprehensible, you know, just to see somebody who loves so much being put through something like that alone is, is such a big deal. And I wish that both of them had gotten it, you know, and I feel like they kind of had a long life yet before this his sentence was carried out, you know, and I know he fought it a couple times, and um, I think in a lot of instances there is, you are capable of rehabilitation, but I think when you do something like that, you know, I don't feel like anyone can decide that that is forgivable except for God. At the top of this episode, we told you that this is one of the most evil, most senseless, and most sad cases that we've ever shared. So why do it? And that's probably a glaring question. But it's for the same reason that we tell every story each week, to try to somehow understand cruelty, to understand the worst humanity has to offer, while at the same time, keeping the memory of Susan, Adrian, and Kyle alive. And that's what we were striving to do, even though it was difficult. Every time I drive that stretch through Vichy, I cry. And now I have two boys who are 9 and 12, and I can't help but think, you know, how they would react in a situation like that. I deadbolt my door every time I walk outside and come back in, even if I'm just going out to start my car in the morning to let it run. I've always just had this idea that things like that are possible. And just the fact that these kids are not the stranger you imagine in your mind, but two kids that rode the bus with them, it just kind of makes you second guess everything. It's it's a wild thing to, to know of at such a young age. It just hit me in such a different way to like my core, you know, you, you don't see everybody as being these fantastic people. You know, there are people out there who are, could take your life in an instant. Small towns like that are just kind of strange. They're very tight-knit, and especially when you don't have anyone out there but each other, you know, there's lots of places for people to hide. It's different. It's just different out there. It's so desolate. You really have no idea what your neighbor is up to. So we asked Bethany if being close to something like this has impacted her life, and if so, how? For a really long time and for whatever reason I've just really held on to it but like I said it's one of my first memories and it is just deep deeply ingrained you know it's just something that I always think about I think it's made me a helicopter parent I am probably super overbearing with my kids but um, I don't know if it's because I exposed myself to things like this murder and wanting to know all of the details, you know, but um, I just catch myself constantly preparing and I, it's probably just anxiety in me, but I, it's like, I want to know these details so that I know that this is a thing. And if I'm ever, you know, approached with something like this or in a situation like this, how am I going to get out? What am I going to do to save my kids? You know, um, it's just, it's so awful. And I being, uh, you know, my boy, 
boys' dad and I share custody. So when my boys are with me, it's just me and them. And I can't help but just, you know, want to get up a hundred times in the middle of the night to check on them and a hundred times to make sure the door is locked and somebody can't get in. And um, it's definitely just made me more aware of my surroundings. And I think I just really pay attention to people and their character and how they make me feel, you know, and how you should just pay attention to weird energy from from someone, but also that it could literally just be a little kid that you're sitting next to in a, at a choir concert at the school or you're watching in a play that comes and takes your life and your kids. Like, that is such something you don't even fathom, you know, like you wouldn't even consider it. Yet there it was, and it ended in such a horrific way. A big thank you to Bethany for being vulnerable and telling us her story. If anybody out there listening has a story that they would like us to tell, please email us. Hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Fanick. Join our Facebook group. Just search the first degree in the search bar on Facebook. We're talking everything true crime go grab some merch while you're at it and stick around for killing time we're talking about the circle and dr shoals yes and remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close but not that close happy listening to your cat day Sources for today's episode includes court documents, CBS, the St. Louis Dispatch, KY3 News, and as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source. All right, welcome to Killing Time. What are you looking at, Billy? I was looking at the leftovers that you guys have out here. Yeah, Alexis and I ordered dinner, dim sum to be exact. That's yes. right. We ate all the good stuff. And I had to, ra- I raced, raced back from my hockey game. Well, we know, saved you a lot. There's some chow mein, there's some smiling chicken bun, there's some veggie dumplings, I am, I am very there's a. Uh, chicken wing. There's a chicken. You get all of our remnants. remnants. We get all the remnants. Yeah. Okay. We got a ton. All of our remnants. Sorry. That's what happens when you show up late. Yeah, we eat all the good stuff. <laughs> so for this episode of Killing Time, we're going to take a while ago. I don't even know when I made this post on the Facebook group, but we made a post asking for you guys to send us questions. We're going to answer them. So we're going to go through a couple of those. And the first one that I'm pulling up is from Linda Gilligan. And she said, she says, what is your guilty pleasure TV show, song, movie, food? And we're talking about this right before we are all watching the circle, which yeah. I think we probably all started watching as a joke. Yeah. Yeah. And then we got sucked into it. And then now we're sucked in. Yeah. What are your thoughts about the circle, Billy? You know, how would you describe it? I think it's like big brother meets Snapchat. Bachelor. I mean, everybody's explaining it as Big Brother meets Black Mirror, but it's not fucked up like Black Mirror. No, it's not. No, no, it's like Big Brother meets, oh, meets Bachelor. Cat, and also meets Catfish. Too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it is more of like a because so one of the episodes, I don't know which number because I just binged them, but there was a kiss at the end when when two people that met. That was wild. And I was like, okay, so this is also romance. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not just about like alliances the way Big Brother is because I think Big Brother has more of those like platonic sort of alliance under 
undertones. This had that. Yeah. And I don't know. I was intrigued, but it's the same way. It's the same sort of connection they made. It's like what you'd get on the other end of a dating app, you know, where there was an intrigue enough to the point that they kissed you know, when they met and I thought that was kind of cool. I liked that. Was that the, um, the kind of, uh, Jersey shore type guy? Yeah. I love the girl with the the short hair and the tattoos. I liked her too, Miranda. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. That that guy is a breakout star. I love him. I almost think that they built the show around him. He's so, he's good. Douchey, but lovable. Yeah. He's great. I forget which what is his exactly name is, what Joey. The, which is exactly what the Jersey Shore guys were. It's just yeah. like the Jersey Shore. Like well, Pauly, they were worse. Well, Pauly D, it's just like, I'd want to hang out no, with that they guy. Were more, <laughs> they were more parodies of, of themselves Yeah, in a way that this guy is just not even trying to conform. He's not like mirroring Jersey Shore. He's just... But he's just like the quintessential like Italian well, family guy. When he had his mom, he, he like FaceTime with his mom oh and he God. got really... That was cool. Yeah. Emotional. I loved it. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Here's my one problem with the show is that I don't like that the the quote-unquote catfishes are kind of like the stereotypical catfishes that you would see like on the catfish show where it's like I like the guy who uses his girlfriend's pictures see, I like that and what I want to see is maybe a quote-unquote like hot person going in as somebody that's di- not that I'm saying that these oh, people are not or yeah. whatever, uh-huh. but they're obviously using quintessential the, sort even of like the people that come on. They're like, you know, nobody really looks at me for li- my look. So I'm going to use my hot friend's picture. I want to see it switched up yeah. where you don't really know. Well, let me see if I can win them over with my with, personality yeah. and it has nothing to do with my looks. Yeah. That's what I kind of wish. Mm-hmm. If you guys went on it, would you be yourselves? Or would you be a catfish? It's only, I mean, first of all, they're locked in a room I, I wonder. Oh, by the way, this is my worst nightmare. It's yeah. to be locked in a room. I think I would be a catfish just because I'm locked in a room and I need more yeah. amusement. Entertainment. Yeah. And being a catfish would just be more theatrical. It would be just yeah. w- more wild. I get to use my brain more. Like, what would this person who You're, I'm pretending yeah, to be do as opposed to just persona. being myself, which is fucking sad and boring <laughs> so and really depressing when you're sitting alone yeah exactly yeah. exactly no, so, I, I no i'd rather be like a performance yeah and they were they, apparently they were able to bring one thing and one guy brought like a ping pong table oh, yeah one guy brought yeah I think that Shuby. Yeah, Shuby brought the ping pong. I love Shuby. Yeah. Dude, how is Shuby coming out on top? He's like, like I don't get it. He's killing it. Because yeah. he's cause and he's, he's a nerd. Because he's genuine and does likeable. that translate across social media? Apparently, but I don't see how. Shuby's my favorite behind whatever that guy, the Jersey Shore guy's name is. Yeah, yeah. I think he brought skincare stuff. You can't bring skincare. That, I, I think that was like one his thing. thing. I don't know if that was a joke or not that they said that, but like, no, he. He wasn't allowed. To, what do you mean? What like is he the brought context? skincare in terms of like, what are you going to bring? You got to you can bring one thing, and it's, I think it was kind of a joke. But he really uh, he appreciates. He brought skin, his face mask. Like his, Listen, I do the same thing. There's yeah. no way that they don't allow you to bring skincare. That's you know, insane. you know. I think that as far as the, you know, obviously, even though like I think I'm like eight episodes in or something, but um, which probably only is like four days. I think. Um, no, I think it's probably eight days. I don't. I don't think so. You don't think each no, episode's a day? I don't think each episode's a day. No. Oh. No. I think there's enough there um, that they can that they can squeeze it in there. Um, just from I, a production standpoint, I'd be trying to like sext everybody. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I'd be like, I need like. See, if I, I was a catfish, I'd be like catfish friends. I'm like, I need lots of sexy pictures of my catfish person. I just feel like I would. 
I feel like I'd be more forward than a lot of these people are. I bet maybe they are, but they're trying to make it like a classy joint. Oh. Or... Or it's like they have jobs and they don't want to embarrass themselves, but same. Well, Well, also why it's like sometimes their conversations seem so so short. I'm like, you guys are in a house alone. I'd be talking for hours. I bet they are. You think so? And they're just like cutting it into like. They have to. Otherwise, it's just boring. Otherwise, it's just people staring at a screen. And say this and say that. It's yeah. like they have to keep it a little more concise. Eggplant emoji. And it's Exclamation. Like- I was googly talking- eye emoji. I was talking to Jared and we were talking about how different people text than they talk. Yeah. And it's really funny hearing somebody talk to text. Yeah. yeah. And it's just not how you conversate. I think we text how we talk. I think we do too. Well, because we don't use LOLs, we don't no. use any and, sort of WYD. We don't use we use full sentences. And I and we don't use a ton of emojis. I use like the cry laughing emoji, and that's it. Same. That's the only because it like can kind of lighten like a, a meme statement. <laughs> no. You guys, you you guys use gifies though. No, it's a gif. I'll use like a I'll use the gif a lot with a s- bunch of hot dogs being thrown in her face because <laughs> that's the best gif. <laughs> that's the one I use a lot. No, that gif and then the Homer backing into the bush <laughs> is also a great gif. No, we don't use a ton of gifs. It's just when we're talking about something. When the other day in our text, I said I feel like a, a water balloon filled with water. <laughs> when we were talking about our bodies, <laughs> so I sent a gif that was like a water balloon worm. But that was appropriate. It yes. wasn't trying to express my emotion. I already said it. I never sent gifts. <laughs> I already <laughs> articulated it. I don't even know how to send gifts, to be honest. Do you do? Is there you don't g- have a gift keyboard? No. I'll help you. You yeah, need this. You, yeah, you Thank need, you. Oh, it's so good. We're, we need to enter 2020. We're unleashing a monster here. Yeah. This is not going to be fun. I just am not a gift person. By the way. Uh, we're, Once you have access, you'll be into it. Okay. We're, we're on a first degree, um, obviously. Group because chat. You know, Group chat. So we have to, we have, to have that. Um, and to talk about business and then mostly not business. Right. God love Jared because he's got to go through. Does he turn it off? Does he put it he on ha- silent? He has us on silent. He has us on silent. But you know okay. what's crazy is he somehow is more I- responsive than Billy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like right. somehow if somebody says Jared, he's right there. Yeah. <laughs> he's looking, just he's, not closely. Yeah. yeah. He's just not. But he's got his, like, he's got a Jared, Jared R. Jared Jared Jerry Dar Jerry Dar Yeah Jerry Dar Jared Radar is what we mean Okay <laughs> should we go should I go to a next question yes. Yeah it's we're yes Okay Um there was a good one Um what is an inanimate object you wish to eliminate from existence <laughs> Wow <sighs> <sighs> An inanimate object eliminate from existence. Like what's something that you do, hate? Do I really hate? You know what I hate? An inanimate what? object. Are you trying to think of it? Yeah. <laughs> I had one, and then I'm like, I could do better. Yeah. Why? What, what was what it? What was it? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I could do better. Okay. I'm gonna. I'll give you a. Yeah, let's, you know what I want eliminated? What? Doctor Scholl's insoles. Why? Those help you. Yes, but if I, like, I need to be faster than people, and this gives them an unfair advantage. So you're, so you're, you're discriminating against, like, flat-footed people. No, I just want to be the fastest. Without insoles. 
Yeah, I don't have I, them. I, I I I wear a nice Dr. Schull insole. <laughs> well, you guys, I need insoles because I, as a 32-year-old, have a bunion on my fucking left foot. A 32-year-old has a bunion, which, by the way, have you sounds worse than it is. All it is is my bone growing a little bit. Yes, but but a bunion sounds like it's this nasty growth. Yeah. So does something like gout? It sounds so much What's worse. Gout. I've got gout. Gout is like gout a re- sounds like scabies. Yeah, but it's kind of worse. Sounds like something no, something gout, that a sailor would get in the eighteen hundreds. Kinda, yeah. No gout. <laughs> gout is basically if you eat like it's it's an allergic reaction. <laughs> That's scurvy. So if but gout is if you have but doesn't like gout sound like scurvy. Gout sounds worse, and it is. So basically, gout is if you eat like a shrimp or a lobster or alcohol can do is it to it some what people. Jeremy Piven got from all the. Sh- it is no so and then your your limbs freeze up because you get crystallized like weird shit in your From in your fish? joints. Fish causes it often. Shellfish causes it a lot. But like your whole leg can stiff up and you can't walk. Yeah. From That's gout. Not what I thought gout was. I thought gout was more like leprosy. No, no. gout. <laughs> no. No. But gout is still gout and it's bad. Yeah. But I, I think it was interesting though because weren't you talking about getting a Instagram account for your bunion? <laughs> and it was going to start getting Please don't. Jack's yeah. bunion. Jack's bunion. Yeah. I can draw a face on it. Wait, can it be Jack's bunion and you sell like buns? <laughs> like it's a bun like what if it's just like a picture of my butt yeah jack's buns yuns yeah like or you sell like or little like onions. you sell like little bunt cakes jack's buntions <laughs> or like or jack's bunions and it's just onion rings but like but brown bun shaped bunch bun shaped onion rings you'd think a bunch that, of onions you would think that we were high having this conversation <laughs> nope, but sadly we're not sorry i think i'm high from listening to this conversation <laughs> all right uh we've killed 11 minutes and 44 seconds of time that's enough time to kill i'm really sorry for the last two minutes guys we're just this is who we are this is who we are accept it or leave don't buy dr shoals Oh my god, there that's goes, so there, rude. There goes that one sponsor. <laughs> I'm gonna have I, to I have, wear them by the way, so I'm gonna have to have a left side shoal. <laughs> <laughs> I like them too, okay? I just I just needed to pick something and it that's what I picked. All right, well fuck you. Yeah, it sounds yeah. right. All right, that's showbiz baby. That certainly is, is showbiz. Don't razzle dazzle anyone.